Chapter Twenty Two of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two: A New Departure. The question of packing was a very small matter altogether, and it was barely seven o'clock when, this finished, Cleek and Mister Narkom had collected their coats and hats from the hat stand. Given Borkins the benefit of their very original ideas as to closing up the house and clearing out of it as soon as possible, each of them slipped a sovereign into his hand and were standing talking a short while at the open front door. The chill of the evening crept into the house in cold breaths, turning the gloomy hall into a good representation of a family vault. All I can say. Said Cleek, chewing a cigar, his hands in his trousers pockets, and his feet rocking from toe to heel, is get out of it, Borkins, as soon as you can. I don't mind telling you, I'm jolly glad to be clearing out myself. It's been a devilish uncanny business from first to last, and not much to my taste. Now I like a decent robbery or a nice quick-fingered forger that wants a bit of hunting up. You know, even detectives have their particular favourites in the matter of crime, Borkins, and a beastly murder isn't exactly in my line. Borkins laughed respectfully, rubbing his hands together. Nor mine, sir," he made answer. "Though I must say, you gentlemen haven't been a bit what I imagined detectives to be. When you first come down, you know I spotted something different about you, and ought to be on the force yourself," supplemented Cleek. "And not such a bad calling, neither," returned Borkins with a grin. "But I knew you wasn't what you said you was, in a manner of speaking. And if it hadn't been for all this unpleasantness, it would have been a nice little change for you, wouldn't it?" Sorry to see the last of you, sirs. I am that, and that young gentleman of yourn. But I must say I'm glad to be done of the business. Cleek blew a cloud of smoke into the air. Oh, you'll have another dose of it before you're entirely finished," he responded. "When the case comes on in London, that's the ticklish part of the business." We'll meet there again, I expect, as Mister Lake and I will be bound to give our evidence, which is a thankless task at the best of times. Hello, Dollops, got the golf clubs and walking sticks? There's a good lad. Now we'll be off to old London again, eh, Lake? Goodbye, Borkins. Best of luck. Goodbye, gentlemen. The two men got into the taxi Dollops had procured for them. While that worthy hopped onto the seat beside the driver and gave him the order to nip it for the eight o'clock train for Lunnon as fast as you can slide it, cabby, to which the chauffeur made some equally pointed remark, and they were off. But Borkins either did not realise that the eight o'clock train for London was a slow one, or thought that it was the most convenient for the two gentlemen most interested. Because he did not give a thought to the matter that that particular train stopped at the next station, some three miles away from Fetchworth, and even if he had and could have seen the two 
tough-looking sailorman who descended from the first-class compartment there and stepped onto the tiny platform among one or two others, he would never have dreamed of associating them with the Mr. Headland and his man Dollops, who had such a short time ago left the Towers for London. Which is just as well as it happened, for it was with Borkins that Cleek and Dollops were most concerned. Upon the probability of their friendship with the butler hung the chance of their getting work. They had left Mr. Narkom to go up to London and keep his eyes open for any clues in the bank robberies case, and had promised to report to him as soon as possible if there were anything to be gleaned at the factory. Mr. Narkom had expressed his doubts about it, had told Cleek that he really did not see how any human agency could possibly get Nigel Merriton off with such appalling evidence to damn him. And what an electrical factory could have to do with it? You forget the good Borkins' connection with the affair, returned Cleek a trifle sharply. And you forget another thing. "'and that is that I have found the man who attempted my life "'and mean eventually to come to grips with him. "'That is the only reason why I did not speak at the inquest this afternoon. "'I am going to bide my time, but I'll have the beggar in the end. "'If working for a time at an electrical factory is going to help on matters, "'then work there I'm going to, and Dollops with me.' If there should be need of me, don't forget that I am Bill Jones, sailorman, once of Jamaica, now of the factory salt fleet. And stick to the code. A wire will fetch me. He hopped out upon the platform just here, in his cut-throat make-up, a little hastily done, for the time between the stations had been short, but excellent nevertheless. Then, as Mr. Narkom gripped his hand, he put his head into the carriage again. "'My love to Ailsa, if you see her, and tell her all goes well with me, like a good friend,' whispered Cleek softly. Mr. Narkom nodded, waved his hand, and then the two navvies swung away from the train, gave up their tickets to the porter, having procured third class as well as first for just this very arrangement and after inquiring just how far it was to Saltfleet Bay, and learning that it was a matter of two mile and a half by road and a couple of mile by the fields, strode off through the little gate and onto the high road. Just how adventurous their quest was going to turn out to be, even they did not fully realise. They reached the outskirts of the bay just as a clock in the church tower half a mile away struck out nine in deep-throated, sonorous tones. To the right of them the pig and whistle flaunted its lights and its noise, its hilarious laughter and its coarse-thrown jests. Cleek sighed as he turned toward it. "'Now for it, boy,' he said softly and then started to whistle and to laugh alternately, making his way across the cobbles to the brightly lit little pub. Someone ran to the doorway and peered out at sound of his voice, trying to penetrate the darkness and discover who the stranger might be thus gaily employed.
Cleek sang out a greeting. Good evening to you, matey. This here's Bill Jones and his pal. Oh, I'll take the high road and you'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland afore ya. Here, Sammy, me lad, come along o' me and warm your wittles. I could drink the sea straight, I could. He heard the man in the doorway laugh, and then he beckoned to him to come along, and so they entered the pig and whistle, and were greeted enthusiastically by the red-headed barmaid, while many voices went up to greet them, showing that already they had got on the right side of the men who were to be their fellow workers. Gentlemen here yet? queried Cleek, jerking his thumb in the direction where Borkins had stood the night before. I've what you calls an appointment with him, you know. And here the blighter is. Good evening, sir. Pleased to see you again, though looking a bit pale about the gills, if you don't mind my saying so. And so would you be if you'd been through the ordeal I have this afternoon, snapped out Borkins in reply. It's a beastly job of telling people what you're seen and heard. It is indeed. Harder to tell em what you haven't seen and heard all the time, matey, threw in Cleek. Done that myself, I has. Bit of sleight of hand what they'd pulled me up for out Whitechapel way when I was a kid. Seeing the master tonight, ain't we, sir? Borkins slopped down his tankard of beer and wiped his mouth before replying. "'Seen him already,' he answered with a touch of asperity, "'and told him about you both I have. "'He says you're to go up to the foreman tomorrow. "'Say I sent you. "'Say the master has passed you. "'That'll be all right. "'Couple of quid a week and the chance of a rise "'if you're circumspect and keeps your mouth closed.' "'That's my game, all right, Governor,' struck in Dollop shrilly. "'clapping his tankard down upon the bar with a loud bang. "'Close as houses we are, Governor, and me mates like a oyster.' "'Well, mind you remember it,' retorted Borkins sharply, "'or it'll go badly with the pair of you. "'That's fixed, then, ain't it? "'What's your names again? I've forgotten.' "'Bill Jones and him Sammy Robinson,' replied Cleek quickly. I'm much obliged to you, sir. Anyone know where we can get a shakedown for the night? Time enough to look for lodgings tomorrow. It was the barmaid's turn to speak, and she rested her rather heavy person against the bar and touched Cleek's shoulder. Mother, she has lodgers, dearie, she said in a coaxing voice. You can come along to us and stay right along if you're comfortable. Nice beds we have, and a good hot dinner in the middle of the day. You can take your breakfast with us. Better come along to her tonight. Thanks, I will, grunted Cleek in reply, and dug dollops in the ribs, just to show him how pleased he was with the arrangement. And so the evening passed. The lodgings were taken, the charge being moderate for the kind of living that men in their walk of life were used to and the next morning found them both ensconced at their new work. The overseer proved to be a big burly man, who, having received the message from the gentleman at the inn, 
immediately set them to work on the machinery. The task was simple. They had merely to feed the machine with so much raw material, and the other men and machines did the rest. But what pleased them more, they were put to work side by side. This gave Cleek a good opportunity of passing remarks now and then to Dollops, and telling him to take note of things. The factory was a smallish place with not too large a payroll, and Cleek gleaned from that first morning's work that it was run solely for the purpose of making electrical fittings. Where do they ship 'em to, matey? He asked his next-door neighbour, a pleasant-faced man about twenty-three or four. Over to Belgium, big firm there. What buys from the master? Oh, so they were trading with Belgium, were they? That was interesting. Well then, how the dickens do they send 'em out? Bolts, idiot! The man's voice was full of contempt for the nincompoop who couldn't use his head. Above the clang of the machinery, Cleek's voice rose a trifle higher. Well, any fellow would know that, he said with a laugh. But what I means is, what sort of boats? Big uns, I should say, for stuff like this. The man looked about him and bent his head. His voice dropped a note or two. Fishing boats, he said softly, and could be made to say no more. In spite of the scornful laugh with which Cleek greeted this news, fishing boats. Hmm, that was devilish peculiar. Sending out electrical fittings to Belgium in fishing boats. Funny sort of a way to do trade, though no doubt it was quite permissible up to a point. Well, he must glean something more out of this good fellow before the day was over. A glass of beer at the Pig and Whistle after dinner worked wonders with the man's tongue. He was not a favourite, so free drinks did not often come his way. After the second glass, he seemed almost ready to sell his soul to this amicable newcomer, but Cleek was wise and bided his time. He didn't mean to fleece his man of the information in sight and sound of his fellows. So he simply talked of the topics of the day, discussed the labour question from a new viewpoint, and then, as they strolled back together to the factory, just as the whistle began to blow that told the hands the dinner hour was over, Cleek fired his first shot. "See here, matey," he began confidentially. "You're a decent sort of bloke, you are." Tell us a bit more about them there fishing boats. What you spoke of, I'm that interested. I've been fair eaten up with curiosity. You didn't mean the master of this place goes and ships electrical fittings and such like out to Belgium in fishing boats? Stray, eh? Yes, Jenkins nodded. That's exactly what I do mean. Seems sort of funny, don't it? And I reckon there's something a bit fishy about the whole thing, but I keep me mouth shut. That overseer is the very devil himself. Happen you'll learn to do likewise. Two chaps who were here last thought they'd be a bit smarty like, and told him they were going to tell all they knew. Though God knows what it was. I ain't been able to learn much, and haven't tried neither. 
but they went zip like that never saw em no more and nothing come of it best to keep your mouth shut mate in this here place anyhow oh said cleek off-handedly i'm not one to blab you needn't be afraid of that by the way who's the chap with the black moustache a straggling all over his face and the nasty eye saw him with borkins the man what engaged me night full last that wasn't borkins me beauty returned jenkins with a laugh that ain't his name how did you come to think of it that fellow's name's piggott and the other man we calls him dirty jim because he does all the dirty work for the boss but his real name's dobbs and if you takes my word for anything pal you won't go rubbing him up the wrong way he's a fair devil hmm dirty jim otherwise jim dobbs and he was in the employment of this very extraordinary firm for the purpose of doing its dirty work well there seemed a good deal of employment for him if that was the case and borkins was not borkins in this part of the world cleek stepped back to his work a little thoughtful a little absent-minded until the frown upon his forehead caused dollops to lean over and whisper anxiously nothing the matter is there sir he shook his head rapidly no boy no simply thinking and smelling a rat somewhere been smelling of it myself this past two hours returned dollops in a sibilant whisper his eye shone for a moment with the light of battle got something to tell you he whispered under cover of the noise something what ought to interest you i don't think have to keep till evening Eh, hey, bill right you are matey cleek's voice rose loudly as the overseer passed pausing a moment to watch them at work nice job this i must say after me own art strike it is soon catch on to it don't you rather returned dollops significantly the overseer with a shrug of the shoulders moved on end of chapter 22